0: Yeah, keep it on time. The arsonist had oddly shaped feet.
1: <laughs> um, Hello and welcome to Do They Owe Us A Living, which is a brand new podcast. This is episode one and this podcast is about, we're figuring it out, but it's mainly about us being self-proclaimed artists who are having a hard time in the working world which is something that we see as not particularly uncommon. So we decided that we would create this podcast, invite our really talented friends on the show that is to come uh, and just kind of get their stories, see where they're at and how they're feeling about the jobs that they may have, the jobs they may not have. And so on and so forth. Um, just to introduce myself, I am Sharon-like, and I'm here with... I am your co-host, Reverend Lee. With Reverend Lee, as well, and we're just going to have a fun time talking some shit.
0: Yep, mainly. we're going to talk some shit, swallow some spit, and... Uh, Yeah, yeah. just kind of uh, share some of our experiences and future episodes we'll be bringing in, as Sharon said, some of our talented friends. And uh, yeah, hopefully offer people in in a similar position a little bit of commiseration, maybe realize you're not alone and maybe a little advice. Maybe you don't have to make some of the same mistakes that we made.
1: And continue to make.
0: Yeah, maybe you want to make those mistakes because they sound fun.
1: Sometimes it's a little bit fun.
0: And uh, and hopefully we're all gonna have a little bit of fun.
1: Hell yeah! Welcome and thank you for listening. Let's talk about how we're doing this. We have handheld mics in our hands, sure 58 mics, your classic stage performance mic, which is all we have and can afford at this time. Hopefully, in the future, we'll be able to make some studio upgrades. By studio, we mean a bedroom. Yep. And
0: I'm talking about going from Hosa cables to Hosa Pro cables.
1: And big time Maybe, you know, five-year plan down the road We'll hit up those Mogamis
0: uh, Comrade, five-year plan
1: Inside Baseball There's going to be a lot of that on this show We are uh, basically nerds about music um, Speaking of being nerds about music Let's introduce ourselves Lee, tell me about yourself
0: Well, let's see I was born of normal parents, and uh, let's see, I've been living in uh, Los Angeles since I was a kid, born in Chicago, and uh, been playing music pretty much since I was uh, maybe middle school age, and uh, currently I play guitar, to use the phrase uh, very loosely. Uh, In a band called Terminal A, I play bass in a band called Fangs on Fur, and I also play slide guitar in a band called Sex Beat, which is a gun club slash cramps slash bags tribute band, cover band.
1: L.A. Punk, Inside Baseball. He's also great at those instruments that he plays, (laughs) but there's going to be a lot of modesty from uh, Reverend Lee on this show. So brace yourselves.
0: How about you tell us a little bit about yourself, Sharon?
1: Sure. Um, I also had normal parents. Um, I grew up in Orange County, uh, which I get a lot of flack for that. I feel like I had a really bad time there. Um, For some people listening who might be from Orange County and were of a, a certain stock, perhaps they might have had an experience growing up that was not completely miserable. That was not my experience. But the advantage of that was I found music and I connected with it. It was kind of like my only friend. And I started making music sometime around 2009 and making music in the computer. And I started DJing sometime around that time. So that's... uh, Ten and eleven years, eleven years now. And it's been ups and downs.
0: And all arounds.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we know each other? We've known each other for about two thousand
0: twelve. Twelve.
1: Yeah. yeah, what I don't know. This I can't. So you're you're that
0: the world ended. We've been living in a like DMT fueled kind of dying fever dream.
1: Mm-hmm our fabric of the universe has been torn apart as evidenced by I don't know, look around and this is also going to be a little bit of a political podcast I think that you'll find that we're really outspoken about our political views and we lean so far to the left that I can't come up with do you have anything for that?
0: My ass is chafing.
1: Precisely.
0: There we go. Speaking of just a weird aside, but so speaking of politics, today's Presidents Day. First episode being recorded on Presidents Day, I feel like it's kind of a I'm feeling kind of a patriotic vibe.
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to acknowledge it at all. I mean, what do you what is the history of Presidents Day? Do you have any idea?
0: I Believe Okay, so February used to have two holidays, two federal holidays. One was Lincoln's birthday, and the other was George Washington's birthday, born in the same month. And uh, Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people don't know, pen pals with Karl Marx.
1: That is a fun fact. Uh,
0: Then they consolidated it at some point into one holiday, which I believe falls on Lincoln's birthday, which I believe was today. And I normally don't celebrate President's Day, uh, but this was the first year that I celebrated it. I had a weird President's Day celebration today. I went to the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Birthplace in scenic Yerba Linda, California.
1: Amazing. On a
0: whim, got there right at opening, 20-minute line out the door. Holy shit. And news cameras... You see you all kinds of people there. There was a there's a Teddy Roosevelt impersonator.
1: Makes uh, sense.
0: Also a Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt impersonators. Full wheelchair. Interesting. So I walked in and I saw him and I was like, okay, they they're they're kind of erasing a little bit of history because he was standing. Got That's a little absurd. closer, he had leg braces on and a cane.
1: Very specific time.
0: Yeah. It was a very specific, it's, we're talking early, early career Roosevelt when he was dropping the, those, those original EPs before he got picked up by the majors.
1: Classic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I connect uh, deeply with the role of FDR. I played FDR in an eighth grade production of Annie, which oh, I wow. thought that I, I really exactly. lucked out with that. Of all the characters to be. As they go. Yeah. It could have been so much worse. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Ms. Becker. She was looking out for me ahead of time. Yeah. Also, she gave me a cool mix CD with some rave music on it. So.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. I was already showing an interest at that time with my Daft Punk t-shirts. Yeah.
0: See, this is why this is why we got to support our teachers because the, the children are our future and they can, they can set them on the right course or the wrong. I, I had a few that set me on the wrong course. I don't know if I had the cool teacher that gives you cool records. I had had Mr. Knutson in high school, sophomore year, who told me to uh, not go to college and be in a band and tour.
1: Great advice. That's a cool teacher. Yeah. So we're some fucking musicians. Lee is a guitarist, bassist, composer. Um, We think about other things and it makes us weird, even by the standards of musicians to to go there and even if it's just in our heads I I think that we both have a desire I I don't want to speak for both of us but you can comment after that to have some representation of our politics in our music because we see things that we don't like happening in the world that I don't know it makes me sad it makes me sad to have concentration camps in the country that I'm living in. That sort of deal.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would I would even go a step further and say that uh, all music or art you create is inherently political, especially when you're living in a country with concentration camps. So if you're not speaking to that on any level, i still making a political statement, but it's that the status quo is fine because to not speak on issues that are that severe. It's, uh, it's it's what we call a present absence.
1: But it's hard to make a sound is something that I've struggled with. I don't know if you've had the same experience of sometimes it feels like, you know, there are hands around your throat or something where it's you just want to get something out and it's really hard. And I think that there are actually... It feels like there are structures in place to prevent people from being particularly creative. Uh, oh yeah, and a big part of that, I think, is it's not super incentivized uh, anymore to be creative.
0: Yeah, no, it's completely de incentivized. There's, I always say, there's only there's really in reality only two crimes in the United States. One is not being born rich. The other is trying to be creative. I guess there's a third one, which is having dirt on the Clinton crime family, but that's another story. Don't want to get into that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. What do you do at that point? It's like, uh, where I'm at is it's I got to do it because I love it. And I encourage anyone who might be listening who wants to do something creative just fucking do it it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it it doesn't even really matter what you think about it because it's practice and that's practice that other people aren't getting and even if it it's never going to amount to nothing if you if you make a mark even if it's just in your own computer or whatever however you're doing it you gotta do it because if you don't do it Somebody else is winning. That that means that they influenced you against making a creative statement. And that's a fucking bummer, right?
0: You can't let them win.
1: You can't let them win. It's hard, though, because musicians don't get any money anymore. That's something that happened over the course of the last 20 or so years. You, you saw... Studio budgets kind of just disappear. Um, it's hard to get paid playing a show, that sort of deal. It's hard to get somebody to sign a record and actually distribute it. There, There's a lot of interference there, but at the same time, it's easier than it's ever been to actually get your music out into the world and published. And what I mean by that is you can make a song... You can upload it to SoundCloud and you can send it to somebody in, I don't know, Kazakhstan or uh, Papua New Guinea, presumably. They might have Wi-Fi there, probably, in certain parts. So that's worth a ton. That hasn't existed in the way that it exists now. And that's something that we can really take advantage of uh, after a certain point, we gotta cut out the middlemen, right? Like why, why, why have a label? What's the point?
0: Yeah, it's tough because it's in a weird state of flux, and you gotta kinda, I tend to focus on the negatives, which is that, you know, oh yeah, you can't make any money doing this anymore. Uh, and on a certain level, like, you know, it's, yeah, fuck the labels because they were terrible. They were always evil then you realize you get rid of the labels and then everything has to be self-financed and that makes it kind of a a rich kid's game if you're not going into it with independent or very dependent wealth uh, or, you know, say family connections into the business. You're kind of up shit's Creek. That's the downside.
1: That's a vibe we get in LA, which is, you know, considered by many to be the... Music capital of the world, obviously that's a very u s a centric view, but it's it's realistic that it's one of them, yeah, it's one of them, so we see a lot of how the sausage is made here in Los Angeles and,
0: it's and, usually
1: and being rich at the beginning helps a lot in having any kind of career in music or maybe the arts in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, the real problem is, and this is different than it used to be, even for, you know, talking to you, because, you know, I cross paths and and play music with uh, a lot of people from the older punk scene in LA. And there wasn't any money or interest from the labels there either. But the difference was the cost of living was so much lower that... You could afford to work very little to not at all and be able to put a roof over your head, eat a meal a day, and most importantly, have a bunch of time and energy and free headspace to write music, book shows, make zines, take photos, all the things that go into creating kind of a healthy functioning music scene. The difference you have now is not only are the labels not there, but the cost of living is through the fucking roof. And I know this is something that me and have experienced, both separately and together, working at some of the same jobs. Uh, it takes so much money to you know, maintain a minimal level of gear, to live... Within commuting distance of an urban area where shows take place, Uh, you know, you're working two, sometimes three jobs just to take care of the absolute basics. You're lucky if you have time to work on music. And if you have the time, your body and mind are completely destroyed. So it's a tough one. It's a tough, uh, it's kind of a catch 22.
1: Yeah, I've found that there's a there's definitely a trade-off. Um I'm glad that you brought up gear because gear does factor into making music for a lot of people, not for everybody. Some people can just pick up an acoustic guitar of any brand and make amazing music, but some of us rely on the gear.
0: We need some special
1: effects. We need some special effects. We need I I mean part of it is is an artistic vision thing too of wanting a specific sound. There's a you can definitely go way too far in a pretentious up your ass direction with that stuff, but
0: be a modular man.
1: Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> but just getting the the basic whatever you need done, it it requires a lot of money. And I'm even maintaining that stuff, you start gigging out, your shit starts breaking. And if you don't have a job that covers more than just rent, utilities, food, and basics, then what are you going to do creatively when your instrument's broken or something essential in the signal chain just doesn't work anymore. And as far as trade-offs go, I found that I was working a really high stress job for about four years, really, really high stress job. And I made pretty decent money doing it. I always thought it could have been more. But I got I made I made decent more. decent money doing it. And for probably the first three years of that, I mean, granted, not all of my life decisions were fantastic. But for the first three years of that I, I felt Whether I felt it or not, I spent a lot of money on shit that I didn't need to be spending money on. But it felt like my I it felt like I needed that shit to just maintain some sanity. You know, especially it was a lot of traveling. And when you're traveling, it's really hard to stay on a tight budget because everything feels kind of like an emergency and You just want to eat something that you know isn't going to make you sick. That sort of deal. And then...
0: the airport upcharge.
1: Airport upcharge, totally. Just because you want water on the plane. Uh, Yeah. So that kind of stuff, it just like neutralizes whatever extra you're making. But in the last year, I kind of got into a fuck it mode of like, I'm going to buy the gear that I want. And I'm really glad that I did that because I don't have a job right now and I do have the gear. And like for the initial phases of that, when I bought the gear, my head wasn't necessarily in the place where I was going to be able to use it right away. So it was just kind of in cold storage waiting to be used. Now that I'm unemployed, I actually have some creativity to use that stuff. So it's a really wacky trade-off. Kind of sucks, but...
0: Moral of the story is buy the gear. Buy the gear. Because, you know, the jobs they come and go, Uh, I mean, especially the way the economy is now, you know, it ain't ain't like you're getting a job at the Ford plant that you're going to do for 45 years and then get your gold watch and retire. We're going to be switching back and forth between all different kinds of careers. It's like... uh, it's like a merry-go-round it goes up and down also goes round and round there's lights there's music it's all good things but the moral of the story is the gear will always be there hopefully unless you know god forbid you get you know ripped off or something or it breaks but uh and i think the key to that and it's something i struggle with is i'm kind of in a similar boat to you i'll very begrudgingly buy the gear when i'm working and therefore not have time to use it when i'm between jobs or unemployed uh which is the time that i should be using it i'm so flipped out stressed out and worried about the fact that i'm not employed that all that time goes down the drain anyways because and i don't end up using the gear in those situations which is really stupid because because uh, i'm so freaked out about money and not having a job and also I think I have a particularly extreme form of this maybe so many people listening can identify but I think it's just kind of cultural indoctrination my even though music is my passion my self-worth is so much more tied to whatever completely arbitrary job I'm doing at that point uh, that when I'm not working I get really deep into like guilt bullshit and yeah it's it's not good the Protestant work ethic
1: we always Talk want to deep. do a good job. Yeah, we do. We we pride ourselves on being able to do a good job, but it there is a cost to that, and I don't know about you, but I feel jealous of people who can just check out at their jobs and oh. apply the minimum effort and brain power to it. And I think a lot of the jobs out there warrant that. For some reason, we haven't fallen into those jobs most of the time, or maybe we're doing something wrong. Yeah, so I have got to meet I'm, in the middle somewhere. Yeah, I'm
0: definitely doing many things wrong, including that. And uh, it's funny because no matter how much in my mind, I'm like, with most of these jobs, not all of them, but most of the ones I've had, it's like, you know, like some of the stupid like like line cook, you know, jobs that I've had. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs inherently, but the way that those jobs were run were really stupid. Terrible management, awesome coworkers, usually, but you know, awful management. Uh, I'll tell stories of the the mobbed up pizza restaurant, or they were stealing money out of our paychecks to pay for unspeakable jobs where the boss had zero interest in me as anything other than a cog in the machine and had absolutely no problem letting me know that. From the word go no illusions still bending over backwards and breaking my back knowing that the harder i work i'm just stealing for myself because the boss is stealing from me and there's absolutely no advantage to me to work harder this is not a place i want to stay there is no move up the ladder no reason to go above and beyond for these guys but this feeling of personal worth that's attached to it man i would bust ass for absolutely no reason
1: yeah it's it must be some kind of compulsion uh, and, and the thing is those kinds of business practices for management that's going around we've done a lot of traveling together uh around the country for work and we've just seen in every city like so many people who are pissed off and like they look like they can't take it anymore and to me, that says that the country is ripe for some kind of change. I would like to think that's the case. I would like to think that we can make that change if we start having the right conversations with each other and realize that we have power in numbers.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's the only way it's going to happen. Because, I, And I think the reason it's even gotten to this point, uh, there's been a very... Uh, very definite move to make everybody feel atomized to internalize their own unhappiness so you know if you're unhappy at your job it's not your job it's you you know put on a happy face don't let anybody know that you're struggling so all these people feeling the same thing for the same goddamn reason and but just due to the way our culture works, the way our media works. Uh, you know, you got fucking Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and all the TV doctors telling you, you know, oh, it's self-help. You just got to get real with yourself. It's like, no, how about you get real with your fucking boss? Because the reasons that you're bummed out, you know, I mean, God, I, I, have, I have chemical imbalances that I've been diagnosed with. I know that. So that's separate. But, Apart from those, the reasons I'm bummed out is because I work over 40 hours a week and still have to sweat bullets about paying my rent in two separate payments and hoping that my landlord's not going to kick me out. Like, and you know what? Enough other people are in the same boat.
1: What the fuck's up with that? Why is that something that we're all familiar with? It it shouldn't be the case. Like the money exists. We know who has it. It's like, people we're not going to meet and they have way too goddamn much of it and a lot of the country doesn't seem to get how much of the money it is or maybe they don't get why those people don't deserve like all of it it's really confusing there's some kind of disconnect in the minds of maybe most of the country it's a it's a high number it's, it's 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 a lot of people who don't understand what a billionaire is and how fucked up it is that someone would hoard that much wealth nobody deserves that why is it that you know a single mother might have to work three jobs so she's working you know some some people are working like 18 hours a day and been there they're all minimum wage all the jobs so you can do the math on that wherever whatever state in the union it is and she's not working as hard as a billionaire how the fuck does that make sense like how many hours in the day is the billionaire working and what does that work look like is it is it really so skilled what the billionaire is doing where they can have all the fucking money. Food for thought. I don't know.
0: I mean, just look at uh, Michael Bloomberg. Apart from running a vanity campaign for president, he does fuck all. You know how much he makes for doing fuck all? He makes $2 billion a year. That's the money. Not the money he makes. That's the money his money makes.
1: On the subject of Bloomberg, I have... A uh, meme. Okay, so I have a friend in New York um, who posted, it, it's a repost of Twitter, and it says, you have $500 in the bank and you spend $2.75 on a subway swipe in the crumbling MTA. That's a subway. For anyone who doesn't know New York.
0: Metropolitan Transit Authority.
1: So you have five, $500 in the bank, something that, uh, many of us can relate to some of us wish for that. Um, and you spend $2.75 on a subway swipe in the crumbling MTA. A billionaire has $64 billion in the bank and spends $350 million on TV ads bragging about how good of a mayor they were. You've spent more of your wealth than the billionaire has. Them's the numbers, they don't lie. Does that seem fucked up? Does that seem fucked up? It seems a little fucked up.
0: It's a little fucked up.
1: And this is from a New Yorker who has to deal with that infrastructure. Eh, uh, not gonna get my vote.
0: No, I mean we could do a <laughs> we could do a whole episode on Bloomberg, which hopefully we won't have to do because hopefully he is gonna trip over his own dick and eat shit all over the place and go away. Because nobody likes him. People that live in New York hated him. People in the rest of the country that did not have the pleasure of living under his three-term fucking police state administration see his horrible, ghoulish Halloween mask of a face and his condescending, racist-ass comments and hopefully don't like Racist
1: him. and transphobic. Yep. Probably homophobic. Yep. Anti-feminist. Yeah,
0: yeah, just across the board, wrong in every way one can be wrong. Uh, so hopefully he's just going to fuck off and disappear and just enjoy his fucking hoarded gold like a fucking dragon and we'll never have to deal with him again. So hopefully we won't have to do a whole episode on what an evil racist scumbag, just thoroughly evil and rotten human
1: being Michael Bloomberg is. Bloomberg is not the centrist you are looking for. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. We're I'm voting for Bernie. Oh yeah, I'm on the Bernie bus. I we could talk. We could do several episodes about that. We've done our research on it. Thought about it a lot. Dude has a good track record. He cares about other people, which is rare in a politician. Uh policy seems pretty rock solid, even though it's not necessarily all achievable, B- whose whole platform is, name one fucking person who right. can deliver on every promise. And something I learned from uh Mr. Birkencotter, my US history teacher, is there's a pendulum effect that is seen in history where things will swing, you know, all the way to the left. And all the way to the right, and they'll come back to the middle. And I think what we've seen is things have swung really fucking far to the right, and we might need to overcorrect, if anything. The
0: pendulum uh, got stuck. It was a little, the mechanism, was a little gummy.
1: and got stuck for a real long time, some decades and whatnot. Yeah. So give it a shot. Maybe uh, we can turn some stuff around. And if not, then uh, maybe we don't deserve to. Think
0: of Bernie like the like the liquid wrench or WD forty that we're applying to the stuck pendulum mechanism to break loose all of the crud and rust and uh, gum that's built up, and and hopefully set it swinging back in the correct correct direction and you know not everything he suggests is necessarily achievable but I think the important thing is he's not compromising right out the gate because you look at what happened with Obama and you know it's the discussion for another time but the point I want to make is that he was compromising with the right right out the gate thinking that they were reasonable and you know at the end of the day Mitch McConnell doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give, you know, the ACA that they said were was a socialist program. That was what they call Obamacare. That was Romney care. That was a program that came from a right-wing think tank that Mitt Romney instituted in the state of Massachusetts. So he came to a Republican Congress with a Republican health care plan, thinking that they would say, Oh, he's being reasonable. And you know what? They called him a fucking socialist. They called him a Muslim. They did everything they could, fought it tooth and nail. You know why? Because they don't actually have an ideology apart from money. They don't give a shit. So you might as if they're gonna fight you tooth and nail no matter what, man, you might as well ask for everything you want and more.
1: Nobody but me. Ha ha ha. (laughs)
0: It's the out of the deal, people, okay? you, you go, you go to buy a car or a casino or a building, on the Upper East Side, and what you, you come in? You come in. What do you you make a you make them a high offer? No, you make them a low offer, okay? And then maybe you go a little higher. That's how you make a deal. You don't come in with a low offer.
1: <laughs> okay, let's talk music. Um, here's something that's coming up. Current events, local events, local events. We got a festival coming up called the- I love,
0: I love a good festival. Oh yeah. Tell me about this festival. It's called
1: Cruel World. Oh.
0: Cruel World. It's almost like a cool world, huh?
1: Oh, not nearly as cool.
0: Tell me about this cruel world.
1: All right. So Cruel World is a festival that was developed by Golden Voice-
0: Oh, I've heard they used to be a they used to be a drug front, right?
1: Believe so. Allegedly, and, uh, parody, but they might have uh, sold operations to another company. Do you know anything about the company that they might have sold out to? I believe it's called AEG.
0: Oh, AEG allegedly fucking evil.
1: Yeah, yeah. Philip and Schutz. Yeah, is a. Uh, Another far right cat uh, uh, that we we know well, and love
0: allegedly shares a name with a Nazi war
1: criminal. Allegedly, well, that's weird. Um, and yeah, he's working against LGBT kind of rights around the clock.
0: Not allegedly,
1: truthfully. Uh, yeah, he's about it and does all kinds of fucked up shit. And this is coming. I'm I'm saying this as a person who has been to like a lot of Coachellas, like way too many from a young age. Is
0: that also a golden voice property?
1: It was the golden voice property um, is like kind yeah. of the, the big, big and that's yeah. how they got to sell the AEG. Ah. Is it because that really caught on and that festival changed a lot. I the first one I went to was in 2005. The last one I went into was 2014. And, uh, it, it was a completely different festival by the time that I left. When I when I showed up the first time, it was like, you got your, you know, kind of basic hippie, indie fuck crowd. That's about it. Big hats. Yeah. Oh, no. This is no, pre-big pre pre big hats. This is hat. like, this is like just kind of cool hip, like okay. when hipster wasn't a bad word. Yeah, okay. Like way back when yep. just some nerds it's basically some nerds it's like, like the
0: indie kids got a little edge
1: on them they like good music yeah like the first year i went what i saw Bauhaus, for instance that's that's pretty solid it was solid yeah they used to make a a point to get the good bands and kind of cater to an audience that had taste and as time went on they stopped doing that and the whole thing became kind of a corporate marketing activation and they went full mainstream with the lineups like top of the top 40 i think kind of deal yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, the pulps people who are there are terrifying because they all look the fucking same like they make it a point to look the same act the same be drunk and falling over the same
0: they get the hot coachella fashion tips and then they all follow them it's, it's- This is from blog.
1: Yeah. So it was like something that I used to look forward to, and then it became kind of my idea of hell. So thanks, Golden Voice, for that one.
0: So 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 far we have – so we got a festival. It's called Cruel World, and it's being put on by the evil conglomerate that pretty much ruined Coachella and a lot of live music in – at least in Southern California that I know of, and also real estate market and anti LGBTQIA plus. Uh, so that's what I got so far on this.
1: That's what you got so far. That it all sounds. Tell just me more. About sounds like right. a, yeah. sounds like a great time. By so the far. way, AG, um, you can look into some of their other properties. They own a bunch of venues. I want to say Staples Center. I'm not sure off the top oh, of we my head. Oh, love the Staples Center. Uh, LA AG. Convention Center, maybe. It's possible. I'm not sure. Um, Definitely the O2 Center in uh, London. It's like, it's a worldwide thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, The O2 is a big ass venue in London. Let's see what they got. Uh, Second largest presenter of live music and entertainment events after Live Nation.
0: Who we also love. Yeah. (laughs) They're very fun people.
1: Mm hmm. Unfortunately, like you're gonna be putting some of your money into these people's pockets if you want to experience live music. It's just it's called a monopoly. Yeah, it's, it's gonna a guy happen. With a
0: mustache and he gets park place, and
1: you're fucked. Gonna happen, but try to keep it to a minimum. So uh, the on this festival, I couldn't find the whole list. You can look yeah. into it. It's a, yeah maybe staples there's some there's some venues there's some festivals like all kinds of fucking sporting events yeah monopoly kind of deal yeah um all
0: right so so i'm loving what i'm hearing so far about this cool world now can it get better
1: it can get better where is it taking place it's taking place the grounds at dignity Hell park sports park Dignity Health. Here, I'm clicking on the ticket. It sounds like a hospital. Dignity Health Sports Park. Where is that? Carson, California. Oh. Ah, Avalon.
0: Not that far from my neck of the woods, which I won't get more specific than that. Yeah, That's here's- First rule of Fight Club.
1: Mm-hmm. First rule of Fight Club is if you like your neighborhood and you like the rent that you're paying, don't fucking talk about it. Don't tell anybody about it. It's not their goddamn business. If you, if you like the rent you're paying, don't tell people- This place that I live is a best-kept secret because you know what? That word gets around and then they fuck your shit up.
0: Let me be clear. If you like your rent, you can keep it. As long as you don't let your lips get loose. (laughs) That's
1: pretty pretty good. Um, Yeah, so it's in Carson, South Bay. Uh, I guess you would... It it would technically be kind of what what we understood to be South Central, a portion of it. South Bay, South Central.
0: Greater Southern Los Angeles area. Uh, If you've ever been driving along the southbound 110 or I believe 405 freeways, you will notice, depending on which of those freeways you're on, to your left or your right, uh, a, a large terrifying structure that looks like it is from the intro scene of Blade Runner, with a big American flag. Uh, It's a big oil refinery, which is kind of the main feature of Carson. Uh, Big old, gnarly oil refinery.
1: I've enjoyed that image in my mind for almost as long as I can remember as a Southern Californian.
0: Uh, You also might be driving by and you go, you smell a smell and you're like, oh my god, my car is on fire and it's going to blow up. Uh... And then you realize it's just, it's just the, the death factory that that's, that's Carson.
1: That's Carson. So Carson, as we have known it for most of our lives is probably, you know, middle class and lower income, maybe predominantly lower income fam, but definitely residential, definitely yeah, families that a, live there.
0: Yeah. Working. Yeah. Working family area. Uh, you know, fairly, fairly dense as everywhere in LA is population wise, probably, yeah, middle, lower income scale. And, uh, a lot of people that, uh, you know, a lot of people that work at the refinery, a lot of people that work in associated, uh, industries like trucking around there. Uh, yeah.
1: So historically, Carson hasn't seemed like necessarily the most attractive place for let's say rich white people to move to but what's weird at at, at one point in history you know rich white people might have been afraid to go to Carson it's kind of got the vibe of the inner city I I would say you know these are things that when we were growing up in Southern California there are there are parts of L.A. greater area that certain demographics of people might not have felt the most comfortable in for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, Having grown up fairly close, the only times I went into Carson, uh, there were good house shows there. Shout out to the Hooligan House.
1: Hell yeah. So, that's a neighborhood where this festival is. Why did they put it in Carson when, you know, this... Is we're gonna we're about we're about to get into the lineup. It's stacked. It is a stacked lineup. It's yeah. got so many recognizable names. Um, why would they put that festival, high capacity festival, in Carson? It's weird because I know if you had a festival like that in Carson about twenty years ago, you'd have a hard time getting people to go there. But for some reason, now they want. People go into their show in Carson, not at the LA Historic Park that can definitely accommodate a lot of people, not at some of the uh, fairgrounds, uh, any any number of high capacity venues in very developed zones for these kinds of events were overlooked for this festival. It's going to be in Carson. Why might that be?
0: Interesting. Could it be similar to? What we know is a brand activation, but for the city of Carson.
1: Could it be that this festival is maybe catering to an overwhelmingly affluent demographic and they want to show off the city of Carson to that demographic to maybe say something like, it's not so bad, look at it.
0: Interesting. Well, I guess a big tell on that would be how much the tickets cost.
1: That's a good point. So this is a one-day festival. One-day festival, a bunch of bands on it. One-day festival opens at 2 p.m. Probably can't go past midnight in a neighborhood like Carson. Uh, Just, you know, when you're in a residential zone, even if it's a big high-capacity venue, usually venue curfews don't go that late. If it's
0: all ages, there's things, or you know, they got to cut it off at a certain
1: hour. Mm-hmm. Sports parks are probably outdoors, so it yeah. makes it that much harder to stay open late. So you're getting uh, what is that? About eight hours of music. Maybe yeah. average person could get eight hours of music out of it. That's one hundred and thirty-five dollars before fees. Uh, I can't look at after fees because this festival is already sold out.
0: Oh, wow. Oh,
1: here we go. Um, oh, it's actually the GA was $135 to $165 plus fees.
0: And we know the fees can very often be at least an additional 50%. Mm-hmm. And that's on the conservative side of, side of things.
1: Yeah, so we're looking at tickets that might have been around 200 bucks for the people that were buying them. For the general admission, not including, you know, VIP or super VIP, which is also an option for this festival in Carson. Uh, I believe it's all sold out. Yep. It's all sold out. (sighs) Even the super VIP general admission tickets, four tiers sold out VIP tickets, two tiers sold out super VIP tickets, which were $350 plus fees fucking sold out. Okay. So that's our festival sold out in Carson and let's talk lineup. Okay, general info. Um, okay, here's our lineup. Headliner Morrissey, amazing uh, wow. fascist headliner. Yeah, amazing you love, you love
0: fascist to see a guy that's down with the National Front.
1: Yeah. So the thing about Morrissey is he was in a band called The Smiths. For those who are not in the know, which probably is not a lot of people who are listening to this podcast. And maybe some people are even aware of his political views kind of veering way the fuck to the right, Uh, especially in the last few years around, you know, Brexit time, he kind of picked a side, which is all the way to the right. Uh, He's kind of made some just generally racist statements and uh, seems fairly unapologetic about it. On the subject of being apologetic, it seems like a lot of his fans don't seem to care a lot. Uh, even, you know, fans who are people of color seem to kind of forgive him for it. I don't understand why, but I'm he's sure he's a sensitive boy. Yeah, I, I was reading an LA Times article uh, where, you know, it's a Latina fan of Morrissey just saying he's a good person. I, if there's one thing to take away. From this podcast, it's don't always assume that musicians are good people. We've had some experiences in the music world where we found out that musicians that we might have thought were good people are not, at least in the classical sense, good people.
0: Yeah, just because you can relate to their art doesn't necessarily mean they're good folks.
1: And on the subject of relating to art, you know, that's one thing. There are reasons. I mean, the Smiths, Johnny Marr, hell of a guitarist. Andy Rourke, hell of a bassist. Drummer guy, probably fine. Um, You can like that shit. It's fine by me. But when Morrissey is a headliner of a festival, that means that most of the money that you're paying, uh, at least that's dedicated to the bands, is going to that headliner, in this case, Morrissey. So we're giving money to Morrissey if we're getting tickets to this festival, and it's proportionally a lot of the money to this guy that is kind of overtly fascist.
0: And think back to what we said a few minutes ago. When the situation is this fucked up, every statement is a political statement, and not making any statement at all is an endorsement of the status quo. And when you got... Kids in fucking cages, you know, not even that far of a distance from where the show has taken place. And your headliner is a guy who defended his right wing xenophobic statements by saying, well, everybody prefers their own race, don't they? That's a statement. That's a political statement. Not saying fuck off to this guy a political statement you can like his music you can identify with his lyrics but if you're Jim over at AEG putting together this lineup and you say you know who I want I want that Morrissey guy that's a political
1: statement it's a bit of a political statement also if you have $200 in your pocket right you got $200 in your pocket what can you buy with that a lot of soda pop or something you can buy a lot of shit.
0: unless Michael Bloomberg gets elected. No soda pop.
1: There you go. Uh, yeah. So, but you can buy some stuff with two hundred bucks. You could, you know, punk shows that are five dollars. How many of those could you go to? That's got to be easy math that I can't do for some it's, reason. Uh, let's see,
0: five and that goes into twenty. That's, I think you go to forty of those.
1: Forty-five dollar punk shows. Forty, maybe on forty different nights. You get forty nights of fun out of two hundred bucks if you're going to five dollar punk shows. I mean, some of them have gone up to. You get a lot of seven dollar shows these days. Eight dollars inflation. You know, it's just going to happen. It's it's what it is. You know, we're doing our best to keep the prices down as as much as possible. But the point
0: stands more than two dozen.
1: Yeah, you can go to a lot of a lot of cheap punk shows, or you could. uh, You know, we we had tickets coming out for. the residents. We got Einstezende Neubauten. We've got lots of great music rolling through town. Places you can throw your money that are not at directly at fascists and like people who are publicly, overtly super right wing and demonstrating hateful opinions.
0: Yeah, and you especially don't have to give it. To a performance of a white supremacist, xenophobic artist performing in the heart
1: of a majority non white city. That also is, I would guess, fighting off gentrification as as most places in that position are right now in the Los Angeles Greater area and actually across the country. Across the world, actually. Across the world, in fact. That's a good point. So maybe when you spend your two hundred dollars on that white supremacist show in an area that they're clearly trying to gentrify, maybe that's a statement.
0: It sounds like a statement to me. When you add it all up, you say you got you got you got the racist guy being booked by the super hyper uh, hyper capitalized anti-LGBTQIA slash criminals in the real estate market, AEG performing in a majority non-white neighborhood that they're attempting to drive up the property values and costs of that just when you take it in aggregate, it's a little uh, it
1: smells a little funny. It's not the best, but what else we got here? What else we got here to justify this? What, what am I looking at here? Because sometimes it's hard to pass things up, and I understand that next line Bauhaus, uh, one yeah. of my favorite bands. I fucking love Bauhaus since I was a kid when I went to Coachella. in yeah. fact, I was you know eleven years old watching Bauhaus. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Fucking love Bauhaus. Not going to go to the show Morrissey's headlining and it's fucking gentrifying Carson. Not going to go. Am I going to think differently about Bauhaus? You know, we've heard all kinds of colorful things about Bauhaus. Yeah. And off so maybe, color, even. Yeah. So that's like, that's me, you know, stating my opinion on it. Maybe I'm, I don't know too much about it, but you, you know, it's just, I, I love the music, but I'm not going to go to the show. Because um, Morrissey's headlining and it's Gentrifying Carson. And the rest of the money that's not going to ours is going to AEG, which we don't like. Uh, next on the list, Blondie. Oh, my God, Debbie Harry. She's fantastic. We love Blondie, yep. too.
0: We do. Uh,
1: next up, Devo. Very important to us. Yep. Super formative. Yeah. yeah. After that, Psychedelic Furs. I'm a huge fan. Yep. I love the Psychedelic Furs. Yep.
0: Love me some Psychedelic Furs.
1: Yeah, Todd Rundgren produced record a "Forever Now." That's absolutely essential, and you know a lot of the other ones are good too.
0: Yeah, self-titled, soap commercial. You can't see, but it's a, it's a kiss of fingers like an Italian chef. A
1: I can confirm that that happened. Um, psychedelic first, great Echo and the Bunny. Man, I'm a big fan of them too. Is some really great tunes from Echo and the Bunnymen. Violent Femmes. Yeah. Oh my God, hugely, hugely inspirational band to me. I love Violent Femmes. The reason I bought an acoustic bass. I learned so many things. I listened to Violent Femmes before I listened to Bauhaus even. I related to it as a 10-year-old somehow. I still relate to it as, as old as I am now. Yep. Uh, Violent so, Femmes, nah. they always put on a fantastic show. I know this. I've seen them play a couple times, and it's been just killer. Yeah. Just and
0: I, I love them, and I've never seen them. And I would love to see them. Not at this fucking show.
1: Not at this show. We're not going to do this show. Um, not that we have the choice now because it's sold out.
0: And not that I would have had the choice anyways because the cheapest tickets were 135 bucks. So. Actually,
1: me same-sees. Yeah. Um, but even if we had that money in our pockets, we wouldn't go to this fucking show. Next up, The Church. Under the Milky Way? You know what?
0: You know, actually, I'm, I'm going to say I am not familiar with the church.
1: I believe they're Australian. Um, if you've seen Donnie Darko, that song's in there. Uh, it's kind of like gothy, like Ballpark of the Cure, more, uh, I don't want to say generic, less unique voice compared to Robert Smith, but kind of in that ballpark. There's some good stuff in there for sure. English Beat, first venue set I ever saw. Yeah, Uh, Dave Wakeling, his voice still sounds great. He's been putting the work in for a really long time. They tour like Moe's. They're all over the fucking place. It's great. Um, Public Image Limited. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Um, Johnny.
0: Full disclosure, we're recording this underneath a poster that I've had since I was... Thirteen years old of Johnny Rotten up on the crucifix uh, from the Sex Pistols era, very formative figure to me. This, this is where I can, even though I've never been a Morrissey fan, this is this is where I can relate to you guys out there that are Morrissey fans. Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, super 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 formative to me. Sex Pistols, were one of the first bands I really got into. Yeah, everybody was all about Sid Vicious. I was like, nah, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Johnny Rotten, he's got the uh, the interviews with him from back then. He's got the ideas. He was pissed off related to everything he said. Like, super looked up to him. <clears throat> when the Sex Pistols did that weird one off Roxy show, like in 2007 or eight, I got there. You know, there was no way to get in you had to win tickets on the radio. I waited in the alleyway behind the Roxy until his limo pulled up. Hoping that I'd catch a glimpse of him, and he walked by, and me as a like 15 year old or whatever, and, like, mustered up the courage to go, "Hey, John," and he like looked over, "Hello." We he kept walking. That was like the biggest fucking thing that happened to me in my life the whole time I was at high school, including losing the V card. So like, super important formative figure to me. However, he's a fucking asshole it's hard to say where his politics are at. Cause he's,
1: I don't know if he knows,
0: he doesn't even know, but you know, if he ain't on the right side, you're on the wrong side. And it's like, you know what? I love the music. I love him as a figure. Uh, it was super
1: important. It yeah. wasn't like sex yeah. pistols really important to me. Public image limited. I loved, yeah. I saw them play. That was a great show. That was at Coachella. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I'm an asshole too, but, uh, yeah, talented. He's made a lot of statements. Um, he maybe just needs to stop making them. Um, but it's just one man's opinion. We'll move on. Yeah, we'll leave the guy alone because
0: he's a, he's a he's a sad man. I'm past his prime.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Next up, Gary Newman. Gary Newman. It's fun stuff, right? He's a pretty important character in yeah. the synth synth music world.
0: Yeah, he's 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 good. Unfortunately, also he's a little dodgy on the politics. But it, you know, I'm I, not even
1: familiar. With yeah,
0: that. I, I don't know enough to speak on it. But people out there, look it up. Uh, make come to your own conclusions. Love his music. Another guy that's kind of he's getting a little old. Maybe uh, maybe trying to be shocking. Maybe sundowning.
1: Who knows. Could be the case. Next up, Mark Almond of Soft Cell. Soft Cell, really, really, really incredible group. They're just duo from the '80s. You know him for Tainted Love. I implore you to go deeper than that because there's some really amazing stuff. The well, my favorite, you go,
0: the better it gets.
1: It's true. Yeah, my favorite record of Soft Cell is called "Nonstop Ecstatic Dancing." I think that they were actually introduced to ecstasy, uh, as they were like way early on that one because yeah. they're superstars or whatever. So they got some kind of new drugs and yeah. then they made that record which is like remixes of their existing songs and then there's a couple other ones all jams or like two versions of it by both um so that's mark allman soft sell great music I haven't checked in on the guy um but you know kind of a gay icon right
0: yeah
1: yeah like really across important the board yeah, yeah uh she wants revenge is up next fucking hate that band
0: yeah i i okay so this i think this band was like probably big when i was in high school and i heard the name and confused them always with a screamo band i think that was similarly named because i'm old and that's what was hip when it i was sounds in high school like that yeah so i never listened to them when they were around and then they came back and I was like, why are all the like hip LA Instagram post-punk kids into this weird screamo band from when I was in high school and then somebody was like, oh no, they sound like Joy Division and then I listened to it and it, whoo, my friends, the Joy Division was a very generous comparison. Not uh, I don't
1: see it slash hear it.
0: Yeah, uh, not screamo but just as much not my cup of tea. Uh, and didn't even have the nostalgia kick that hearing screamo in 2020 would actually.
1: Yeah. Really fucking gross. douchey lyrics? And, uh, to address that, um, bad sound like she wants revenge is ripping off Interpol, ripping off apparently joy division. There were a lot of comparisons that uh, first run of Interpol where there's like, Oh, Interpol sounds like joy division. I didn't really hear it, but, um, she Wants Revenge was clearly riffing on Interpol and it was like so far removed that I couldn't even recognize any through line there and it just sounded like fucking trash to me.
0: So it's like when you do the photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of it and it degrades and then by the time you're done you can't tell what the fuck the original image was. That's what I'm getting out of that.
1: On that subject, the next one is black audio. If you're not familiar... Um, Davey Havoc, I believe, of the band AFI.
0: Oh, taking me all the way. Now we're talking high school, baby.
1: uh, He did black audio, and it was like his photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of like Depeche Mode and Soft Cell. And it's so postmodern that it is maybe more confusing than it is bad.
0: Interesting,
1: yeah. It sounds like I mean, I don't like it, but
0: he came from the mid 2000s, and you know what else came from the mid 2000s? VH1 I love the 80s.
1: Mm.
0: It sounds like the two like fused together in a horrible, like the Cronenberg, like fly machine, and that's what you got. I, I've never listened to him, so I'm but just, it's uh you know, conjecture. It's not Michaelian
1: black audio, okay? So that's not what even, it doesn't have from I, I love the 80s,
0: not e- yeah, and not not Jack Black audio,
1: yeah, no Hal Sparks, no Mo Rocca. Yeah. So black audio. (laughs) Okay. Trust or TR slash ST. Is that some kind of music joke? Music reference? I don't know. Uh, That would be generous to assume that.
0: All right. Correct me if I'm This was my. I might be totally off base here. So uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sharon, correct me. Or if anybody's listening. I'm sure there'll be some kind of way you can get in touch with us and correct me. When I saw that just now, I was thinking it was a weird stylized representation of tierist,
1: Not related.
0: Not really? Okay. As far I'm as totally I understand.
1: Wrong. Yeah. Thank you for the correction. I'm not sure where this cat, I think it's one dude. Terst. Who makes, um, I don't know, whatever we call boring synth riffing on the 80s music these oh, days. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of it on this lineup. We'll get there. T-R-S-T. I've heard this because a lot of people were saying it's great or whatever. Uh, I didn't like it. I thought it was really boring. I thought it was really derivative. Thompson um, Reuters. But not even, yeah, I, I guess you can't type in T-R slash into the Google bar. So Oh, maybe it's an inside joke on that. No, I don't think so. Oh, previously known as Trust. So oh. maybe there was another Trust. Oh, uh, okay. So that's a dude. Canada, and he makes boring music. Okay. A whole so
0: native land. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um. So dudes, who make boring synth wave music. Cold Cave up next. Same deal. I don't give a shit. Uh, Jay Aston's Gene Loves Jezebel. Is that right? Like- out on that. I don't know. I, it's gotta I like be the, the
0: guy from. Is he riffing off uh, Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti? So no, you're you not familiar with Gene Loves Jezebel? I do. Know,
1: yeah, I know. That was, oh. was a little joke. Oh, I gotcha.
0: Not delivered in the correct tone. Uh, yeah, so the possessive, I'm imagining there was some kind of alleged dispute over name rights, is what I'm getting out of that.
1: Yeah, Gene Loves Jezebel has a song. So maybe Jay Aston's representation of Gene loves Jezebel can perform that one song, yeah, semi faithfully. So there's that. That's you know that's got to be worth seven out of your two hundred bucks right there. What you get, I can't. Can I sing it? I don't know. Oh, if yeah. I can sing it. I maybe. Can sing it. Maybe. What you get is what you see. Desire. Oh, uh, that
0: one. Okay, I know who you're talking
1: yeah. about now. Okay, Berlin um, is actually, I believe, from Orange County, where Uh, I'm from. Uh, Not from Berlin at all. No, not from Berlin at all. They were doing a thing because, like, back in the day, it was, like, perceived to be cool to, like, be from Berlin or to, like, move to Berlin. So I'm glad that we got over Uh, that as a society.
0: Yeah, it's totally not a thing anymore. Mm Mm-hmm
1: um but yeah they uh, originally they made like really cool synth music along the lines of SSQ for anyone who's familiar that's Stacey Q's first band there's kind of this Orange County scene of like proto high energy really kind of kind of dark and post punky synth music from Orange County that's actually really good
0: and it's a weird thing bring up SSQ all those artists were because of the, they. a lot of it was recorded in Fullerton, same time as the hardcore explosion was going on down there. So you would have those artists recording in the studio sometimes right after bands like The Adolescents and TSOL had been recorded. Like they were all in there at the same time, which is crazy to think about and something that should maybe be stylistically explored mm-hmm. a bit. What if they all had a jam session together? What would that sound like? And That's what I'm know. trying to figure out.
1: Yeah, that's something that we we both want to know about, and yeah, fertile ground in in Fullerton, it's Fertileton. It's its own. It's its own place. Fullerton is it's kind of different from the yeah. rest of Orange County and the rest of the world. So yeah. check it out. See what yeah. see what you think. Um, Berlin later in their career did like the soundtrack to Top Gun. It's what they're best known for. Take my breath away. That's the and, name of the song. Yeah. Not my favorite. I saw Berlin play for free in the park when I lived in Colorado for a couple years, which in that that context was great. Yeah, they're in the free in the park circuit. Now they're on the big festival golden voice circuit. So that's a level up after whatever the heyday was and all power to them. Uh, Cool deal. Bad Manners, I believe, is like a two tone ska, but it's like kind of novelty. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Bad Ma- ba- bad manners is the next band. Bad manners. We're sorry, we're looking at the screen while we're commenting on this. It's the only way we can do it. Um You wanna read the next one?
0: Ah, oh, missing persons.
1: Walking in LA.
0: Yeah, a little Del Basio.
1: Nobody walks in LA. And what are words for? Nobody listens anymore. Yeah. That's an amazing lyric. Yeah. They're good. They're good, yeah. Some classic L.A. stuff. London After Midnight, I'm not familiar. You know what that is?
0: Okay, London After Midnight, I actually have a, a friend of mine who played in this band for a while. Uh, <clears throat> they're very, very storied, and uh, I'm a little hazy on this, so some of the dates might not be 100% right, but I believe the 90s into early 2000s, Los Angeles goth scene, they were kind of one of the one of the big big bands I haven't listened to much of their stuff, but like you, you talk to like somebody who's goth in Hollywood in the nineties and you bring up London after midnight, they will have tales, tales to tell, uh, uh, some kind of, I think the singer was maybe controversial in different ways as you know, a lot of people in the nineties like to be, uh, I don't know about anything specific and it's probably a lot of like in, in the goth scene drama, uh, which is another thing that we've totally gotten over and doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my book, you know, they sounded, you know, not quite my cup of tea, but they sounded—they were—they kept the flame lit during a very hard period of time for everybody. So, like, I, I tip my. It's my, uh, a
1: dirty job, but somebody's got to do
0: it. Yeah, I, I tip my, uh, my, uh, uh. my Victorian stylized uh, vampiric top hat. If a not your thrill
1: kill cult little police hat, yeah, exactly. Thing. One of the two, maybe yeah. both
0: at the same time.
1: Both at the get same creative. Time.
0: <clears throat>
1: Next on the list, Drab Majesty, which is an amazing group because they sound like exactly what their name is, and that's difficult to pull off. It's it's like really incredible to me when you can illustrate what it is that you're doing in just the name of it. I mean they got at least half of it right but it's enough to communicate kind of what you're going to get so you go in with an expectation and that expectation matches the product and I think that's cool it's truth in advertising <clears throat> personally that sound is not for me I I find it very derivative um it's a lot of chorus guitar you know we're uh, Reverend Lee and I are both big fans of post punk we grew up on that shit and you know i mean post bands that are considered to be post punk now we grew up on that shit um but there's a bunch of new bands now that seem to be like a caricature of what they think that post punk is in reality like you have a lot of these bands from the late 70s early 80s in the uk they weren't really aesthetically united very neatly that's what confused me about so post-punk,
0: I actually, I remember hearing the term when I was like young, young side of like high school age and it pissed me. Somebody described one of the bands I liked as post-punk. I can't remember which one it was. And the term pissed me off because I was like, fuck you, man, punk rock's not over. That yeah. was my attitude toward the term post-punk. Never really heard it again. I can't remember what band it was. I liked that somebody was like, oh, you're into post-punk. And I was like, no, fuck that. This is punk rock. Uh, didn't hear it again until uh, until Terminal A started, actually. And uh, somebody told me we were post-punk, and I was like, what the f-? I remember hearing that when I was younger. what the fuck is this style? And then I looked it up, and it was like a bunch of shit I'd already been listening to, but like never thought of as the same genre. Like, you take, I mean, two just kind of like, like, quote-unquote post-punk 101. It's like you got Joy Division and Gang of Four.
1: It's kind of a different thing. Two yeah.
0: completely different sounding bands. Like, I, I don't... I mean, other than falling, to me, under a very generalized rubric of punk, it was like, this is like some really hyper-specific style. Uh, and now it's kind of become one of those things like Garage was or whatever, where it's like everything's post-punk. Like, you know... Suicide's post-punk. It's like suicide started in like 68 or 69 like way before punk like before even punk. It literally like proto-punk punk yeah. anything. If the term means anything, it's it designates maybe a historical period. And the closest thing I've heard is it's like, oh, well it's shit after punk blew up that was bringing outside influences into punk and kind of mixing it up. Uh which is confusing because to me, then the Clash would be probably the archetypical post-punk band.
1: You'd think so, yeah.
0: But nobody ever calls the Clash post-punk.
1: I haven't heard it, so yet. it
0: it is literally a term that means absolutely nothing. And to be using that term in like 2020, it's like, well, yeah, we're fucking post-punk. We're also fucking, you know, wait, didn't post-rock happen? So like, wait, like you know, it, people, it's a marketing category. It means absolutely fucking nothing. And the funny thing is the stuff that's being called post-punk now really doesn't sound like, you know, much like, you know, if you all remember a few years back the garage thing, none of that music sounded like it was from the 60s. It sounded like, kind of like 90s bullshit, a lot of it. And this uh, is kind of this is this also, 90s this is like A lot of what's yeah. called post-punk now is kind of like some other, like, 90s but Like, it sounds like A lot of it sounds like, and I'm not going to name specifics or whatever, but just in the general, yeah, Yeah. I'll let Sharon take care of that. But just in the general milieu, I'm like, this just sounds like, I don't know, like bad shoegaze, kind of like, I don't know, all the things I didn't like about shoegaze and like, yeah, I don't know.
1: Here's here's it's my weird. take on post punk, yeah. and it's like a, a term that I familiarized myself with early on because I read a lot of Spin magazine from my young oh. age. Like I started reading Spin magazine probably around age eleven. You know, like this is when I was you know crossing over from like Green Day into Joy Division, and uh, so post punk is it came up a lot in Spin magazine, so I kind of understood it to mean. You got your Joy Division. I don't know if Gang of Four was really lumped in there, but like, I actually Bauhaus was kind of classified as goth. So it, it is all over the place, but it, to me, it meant like seventy nine to eighty three or something, nineteen seventy nine to nineteen eighty three, and what came out of punk. But like, then you get weird shit like what? What is Wire? In that context. Yeah. Like Pink Flag even is like not quite the same punk sound as what was going around in the UK at the time. Susie and the Banshees veered off like pretty early on in the career into just some... So for me, it was just like, you know, the weirder end of punk. Yeah. And that's what made it post-punk is it's like punk, but with some new ideas in it, whether it's like drawing influence from some something that came before or they're just doing experimentation so this new stuff that's they call it post-punk it's i don't hear the experimentation that would qualify it and there is like something with uh you know joy division and the chameleons for instance where they have chorus on the guitar all the time chorus on the bass in case of joy division that seems to be like the main takeaway for these new bands gotcha right
0: yeah yeah, it's it's yeah
1: a lot of reverb, gated reverb. Yeah. It's kind of uh, riffing on like Martin Hannett's style of production um, and just some of the signal flows that they use with like chorus effects and certain distortions and that sort of thing. But they don't quite get it right compositionally and it's not, it didn't come from really a place of like, here's the shit we have, let's plug it in, what does it sound like, here's where it's good. It's like we wanted to sound like this shit that existed before. There's a little bit of a problem with that when you're using completely different equipment. Most of the time it's just computer plugins, And you're trying to make that sound.
0: Uh, that's why it all comes like a mushy wash. It like becomes like a mushy... You all the paint like, colors yeah. together and you get that kind of sludge.
1: It's almost like a majestic drab color in the sound. Um, so what do we got next? 45 Grave.
0: 45 Grave. Super foundational In the the death rock Genre Uh, Early L.A. dark Punk Kind of the remnants of the germs Initially And then members from the consumers Who were out of uh, Arizona Excellent band Like One solid gold record And then they kind of disappeared And came back I I have another buddy that Has played with them off and on Over the years They still put on a good show. Dinah Cancer is like last time I saw her play, she was in a full arm cast. I think she broken her arm, but still puts it out there. That's rock and roll. Yeah. Now the next one's really interesting. Yeah. The next one is Christian Death. I don't know what. (laughs) So there's
1: like I think who even knows what that means. Three
0: bands I think that are some three currently. Maybe Currently two
1: playing bands. That are
0: some variant of Christian Death. I've seen two of them. I have a feeling this is the Christian Death that I believe the second guitarist spun off. If you don't that, know Christian Death. Valor can. Yeah, I think this is a Valor's Christian Death, because I believe they are the current, but maybe not permanent owners of the name rights. Uh Christian Death, another super super foundational LA death rock band, came out of Pomona slash
1: Orange County. So Ros creative, Williams. yeah. Roz Williams being, I mean, actually, there's so much in that first record called "Only Theater of Pain." Yeah, it's if you haven't to listened to it, turn this off right now. Turn on "Only Theater of Pain," then come back to you. Got to do that. Yeah. I was just like practicing bass because I'm trying to get my chops back up and I was like trying to do only theater of pain and I didn't even I never really thought about it before like how much is just in the bass guitar on that record it's like but then you you need everything else too and you got Rick Agnew on guitar with his very specific and fantastic style Roz Williams is a vocalist who in my opinion can't be replaced but just a really really amazing voice to hear Unfortunately, yeah. we lost him in the 90s, I believe. Yeah,
0: yeah, 90s. He passed on. Uh, yeah, this band was super, super formative to me because this was kind of my gateway into like weirdo, you know, call it goth, death rock stuff. Because Rick Agnew, the guitarist, had been in a band called The Adolescents, who are like foundational SoCal hardcore. You listen to this, you probably heard The Adolescent. You probably heard the Blue Album in my top three favorite albums of all time since I was a kid uh, and his guitar playing is like that makes that fucking album and I remember I'm like maybe 16 in a record store and my buddy picked up Only Theater of looked the cover looked like a metal record like it looked like like Venom or something like that and I was like the fuck is that and he was like oh this is the dude from the Adolescence Other Band and I was like no shit sure, really huh yeah well, let's listen to it and we went back to his house and he put it on and it was like, holy shit. Cause there was that adolescence guitar, but it was like all fucked up and it gotten all angular and like mangled and fucked around with chorus and stuff. And then crazy kind of like nightmare imagery, stream of consciousness, symbolist poetry shit going on. And uh, I think it was George Bellinger on dr- drums are super menacing and gnarly. Crazy bass. Yeah. Sound design was insane. Just Uh, like
1: a real acid trip of a record. Yeah, it's dark, but also really welcoming. Yeah, for some of us who have that headspace, sometimes. Yeah, it's just like when if if you've had some dark times, it actually will greet you with open arms. Yeah, so only theater of pain. Great record, current iteration of Christian Death. I, I don't know, man.
0: Yeah, I would suggest if you're going to see a Christian death, the one I can vouch for is actually called Only Theater of Pain. Uh, features Rick Agnew on guitar. Uh, Chiton Damone, who is a member at a different time and is also Rick's fiance or wife. Can't quite remember. Two amazingly talented people. Uh, really good backing band. I think Steve Skell and all on vocals doing Roz's parts. And they do the whole Only Theater of Pain album. I recommend seeing that, if only to see an original member of the band go through the record. Because to see somebody actually perform it in real life is pretty amazing. Uh, so that's... They got my vote for the Varian of Christian Death.
1: Also, uh, Jatan Damone Quartet, um, Jatan yeah. and Rick play in that. And Jatan is just an amazing human being. She's super talented, really inspiring to watch. Yeah, yeah, Check great performer. Too. Check her out yeah. if you can. Uh, okay, next up, the meteors. I have no idea. <sighs>
0: the meteors. Yeah, I got. The, I, I know the name. It's one of those things I've seen a million and a half times, and I, mean, I shame actually, to say I, I never checked it have out. No idea. I want to say that they Ooh, were in the psychobilly. Whoa, they were like foundational psychobilly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is why I didn't check them out because, as a young man in high school, I was I was into the punk rock music, but I was also into the old fifties rock and roll, which meant that I got mistaken for Psycho Billy by the Psycho Billy kids who were just in my geographic area like terrible. Uh, so I, I stayed very very far away from their goofy ass fucking music and goofy ass style and any bands that i saw them wearing patches or t-shirts of i just automatically refused to listen to and the meteors demented our go all those bands fell into that category uh maybe i missed some good music i almost missed the
1: cramps because of that we were one of my favorite bands of all time uh it's definitely a little bit of a deterrent from the cramps that shouldn't be there because they don't represent that genre of music. They are their own thing. It's like really special, really amazing. If you're not into the cramps, get into them. And this is from a person who like as a young as a young one did not really feel like I was going to relate to uh, really, I guess music that was super American. Yeah. It's it's got like blues and country influence. Yeah, I guess is how you describe it, right? But now it's like one of the things that I relate to the most. Yeah. So there's a lot there. Meteors. We don't know. Cramps definitely get into that. Unfortunately, not a band you can see live anymore. But there's live records that are. Yeah. Yeah. Head exploding.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. Check out the meteors at your own peril. I still have. We can't speak to it. Yeah. I can't speak to it. I still have kind of a a post traumatic issue with psychability. So I can't check them out, but check them out for me. Let me know if they're any good. I could be wrong. I could be right.
1: (laughs) Um, I feel like we're. Oh, we are so over time. Um, Let's blow through this last line all right we got black marble uh yeah, one of the most yeah, boring one of the most boring bands i've ever seen live
0: i have never seen that.
1: i've seen them live oh my god it was so boring is the, maybe only beaten by an animal collective said i saw some that's where my taste is uh take it or leave it but jesus christ that is a fall asleep to that band band um Critically acclaimed, I would say. I've definitely heard a lot about them on the critical end. But real boring. Sex style, same deal. It's like really derivative from my perspective. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing or why. But some people really dig it and that's fine. Soft yeah. Kill, try to I to
0: Full disclosure, I have a, a friend in this next band, so I'm going to recuse myself because I cannot be, uh, uh, what do you call it, objective up to journalistic standards. So I'm going to let Sharon take take it away, Sharon.
1: Soft Kill I listen to is kind of in the same ballpark as uh, Drab Majesty, Black Marble, and sex Style. KVB, I think I tried giving that one a shot, and it's kind of the same deal as well. To me, all of these things kind of blend into one just sort of crock pot of a uh, chorus guitar and reverb and sad guy vocals that I don't, it doesn't have the energy I need, but is, people relate to it right now for some reason. And people are allowed to relate to whatever they want to relate to. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put them down for that. So it's not my, not my bag and there's a lot of stuff on this lineup that is my bag. But too. we're not going to go to this we show. We going hate this show. You can't make us. You can't make us go to this show. It's really fucked up if you do it. I know that a lot of my friends are going to go. I totally get why. There's some really amazing bands on this lineup. But when you kind of look at it analytically, it's not the most ethical decision you could make. I know we want to support these bands, and sucks that they have radius clauses. That means that they can't play in L.A. around this Thanks time. To EG. Yeah, they they gotta skip L.A. and only play this show, which means you can't just see them at a venue that's not gentrifying Carson. But yeah, it's a
0: bummer. And if there's one thing we can all work towards, and it's a big project, but like, it shouldn't have to be like this. It really shouldn't. You shouldn't have to like be fucking playing fast and loose with the ethics to see a band that you want. Like, like, come on now, this is the music. Like, yeah, it's a commodity and you know, ethical consumption under capitalism. All I get it. Okay, but I think there's a way we can structure these things so it's not quite so bad. And music can be somewhat of an escape. From all the other bullshit, I get it. Yeah, it's a fucking, it's a commodity. It's a, a product of the fucking consumer. What? Yeah. But it does offer people, Sharon, if I may speak for you on this point and myself, a little bit of relief. Mm-hmm. And, and I still, you know, call me the old fashioned, you know, call me what you will. Uh, I think it can also be, uh, if not an agent of social change, definitely, like, the Spurs. I know that, like, The Clash, for instance, got me thinking about politics as a really, really young kid way before I would have been exposed to that stuff otherwise. Dad Kennedy, same thing. Bands on this lineup, in fact.
1: Uh, so, uh. I had the same experience. And, I mean, something that is kind of hopeful for the people who have already bought tickets, like... I know that we can keep beating this dead horse of, like, why it's wrong. And I and I hope that you keep that in mind in the future. Just, like, remember where something is happening and why it might be happening and why it's catering directly to you and why it's built the way it's built. Like, it's okay. Like, I got to see Bauhaus already in the last year, and I'd seen him before that. So I it would have been a really – it would have been – a huge conflict for me yeah. if, I, if I hadn't been in that situation. See,
0: and I've never seen the Bauhaus. I'd love to see the Bauhaus. never seen the Violent Femme. So no judge if you're going to this one. Enjoy. Have fun. Just food for thought.
1: And the best thing you can do if you go to this festival is, I mean, maybe check out the Ender just to compare them to the bands that influence them because they're all in the same place, on the same lineup, in, in the flat field, so to speak. Um, it's a perfect place to analyze what has happened, what's happening. Uh, if you're going, please wear a fuck Morrissey shirt. <laughs> it would make me so happy. I know it's a lot of other people would, would feel like their lives mattered. If you did that, so...
0: It would make my heart smile.
1: Yeah. And that's all we got on Cruel World.
0: Well, Sharon, sure, that's a lot crueler than I thought the world was going to be. I was, uh, yeah, damn.
1: Aptly titled festival. It's a bit depressing. It's super depressing. But you know what? Maybe... All we can do is, you know, try to make our own changes to the the space around us. And speaking of that, uh, in these last couple weeks, we've lost some really cool music people. Um, A couple weeks ago, we lost Andy Gill from Gang of Four, and that's just a really important band to both of us for sure. Super talented guitarist. I've never seen anybody play the way that he played. And that band was so on the mark politically, especially in the early days. Yeah. They were really saying something that I'm sure couldn't have been easy for them to do. And they spoke the truth, and you can still hear it on records like Entertainment, Solid Gold. Check them out. It's all still relevant, which yeah, sucks on a certain level. Ever. Still sucks on a certain level, but you're going to get something out of those records, even just on the musical level. Really amazing stuff. Fuck, we lost Andy Gill. That is <laughs> it's a bad start to the year, unfortunately. Yeah. And then on a more personal note, today we lost Andrew Weatherall, who was... In many ways, the greatest DJ of all time, in my opinion, as a person who's been DJing for more than a decade now. Uh, Super inspirational because he always played by his own rules. He was the guy that would mix the genres. It didn't fucking matter. He just loved music. And that's not the way that a lot of DJs look at it. They're like, we got to play a genre. It's all got to be cohesive. DJs make a lot of rules for themselves. And Andrew Weatherall really fought that. Just because he, you know, he came from a suburban, maybe middle-class background of being bored but seeing glam pop up, seeing punk pop up, and those were the things that inspired him, but then the late 80s came around and rave music and acid house started and instead of rejecting those things on the basis that he was coming from a punk place, he embraced that with a lot of the rest of the UK, which was following Chicago and New York. And he didn't feel like he had to switch over. It's like, let's put the things together. And a really great example of his work is the Primal Scream record, Scream Adelica, which was not their first, but it was really the breakthrough and that's a really amazing, trippy, cool record. It's got like a Rocky Erickson cover on there, uh, Slip Inside This House. There's uh, the probably the most popular track on that record is Loaded, which is the one that Andrew Weatherall did tons of work on in, making it kind of just like the best remix ever and check that out Uh, Primal Scream, Screamadelica Andrew Weatherall, everything he's ever done all the fucking remixes so good, read the interviews he was so cool he had the right perspective on music he's gonna be missed Uh, and today has been February 17th, 2020 Andrew Weatherall uh, 1963 to 2020 Yep.
0: Yeah, so not, not looking not looking like a great year so far on that level.
1: But we're we're always learning from these people and I encourage the listener to think about who's inspired you and just try to integrate maybe not what they sound like or you know in visual art you know, what it looks like or don't rip it off. Just try to Try to see where they were coming from and try to represent that in a way. Doesn't have to sound sound or look the same. It's just it's more of an ethos based issue. Yeah, I second that. All right, so that's got to be a wrap for the first episode of "Do They Owe Us a Living," which is a reference to a song by Crass that we can't play. But you know what? We're going to make a playlist of songs that we want you to hear, and that'll be on Spotify. So we don't know how we're distributing this yet, but we'll make sure you can connect to that Spotify playlist, listen to some good tunes that we can't put in the show uh but it'll be just as good you can check them out check out the lyrics check out the sounds don't go to cruel world festival if you can avoid it if you got a ticket you can sell it probably for twice of what you paid and you could go to a bunch of other shows just you have a good time yeah just think about it you don't have to do it anyway thank you for listening thank you
0: and uh yeah we look forward to doing doing more of these and uh Hey, we're figuring out as we go along uh, We appreciate you coming on the On the journey with us And hope, hope you got something Out of the, the time you spent with us today
1: Do it yourself, start your own band Start your own band Alright Thank you See ya